Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Amen. Welcome back to Advent. I am uh, so, so excited to preach this sermon to you today. This is one of those sermons where um, I'm kind of freaked out because it's so good on the page that I'm sure there's no way I can do it justice. Thankfully, I have two shots at it today, so I get to preach to you here at Grace Downtown and then again up north in about an hour or so. I think we would all agree that we prefer strength to weakness. You nod at me if you think that's pretty basic, right? Given a choice, you want to be strong or weak, we would choose to be strong, most of us, yeah? Wave at me, right? Strength is better than weakness, amen. Weak things like weak coffee, for example, is, ever, <laughs> is your coffee ever hijacked and you don't know why? We make our coffee at home, we grind the beans ourselves, we do all the things, we have the French press. I usually do it most mornings. And last week, for whatever reason, the coffee, as Nikki's Nona used to say, was too weak. <laughs> if she didn't like something, she'd say too weak. She's the classic Italian, too weak, weak coffee. Isn't it so disappointing? The coffee was so disappointing that my family didn't want to hurt my feelings. And I asked them, I was like, so how's the coffee? If you know me at all, you know I like to do things well. So I even sweat the details when it comes to coffee. How did you like it? I hadn't tasted it yet. And I got silence. You know that awkward silence when people don't want to tell you that what you did was too weak? (laughs) There's almost no excuse. So I've been compensating. So the last week I've been making the coffee a little bit too strong. I bought Kicking Horse and um, Balzac and blended it because weak coffee is terrible. Do you ever um, deal with people who have weak resolve? You can see this in almost every area of life. As a football coach, I deal with this a lot. One of the key reasons I love coaching football is because I love helping young men kind of find their place on that team. I know sports is just sports and I don't want to make too much of it, but over the 15 years or so that I've coached football, It's always just so beautiful to see these young men kind of realize, oh, here's where I fit. A little story before I start in earnest. Three of our boys uh, just signed to the University of Guelph for this upcoming year, which is so amazing. These are boys that we've coached for years at Centennial. And one of them in particular who just signed this week, and of course, you know, they all announced it on Instagram and everyone's giving them shout outs. So I sent them, I said, proud of you, buddy. He's like, thanks, coach. They all call me coach. And this young man, when he came out, to our team three years ago for the first time, never played football in his life. He's a soccer player, good athlete, but absolutely clueless. And I could tell that he was floundering, couldn't find his place. And so I stepped in, I intervened, and I put him on the edge, if you know football at all. I said, listen, line up here on the edge of the defensive line and just go get the quarterback, real simple. Oh, okay, coach. And he just did that play after play after play after play, and uh, three years later, he's got a scholarship to the University of Guelph. What's challenging is when you find a kid and you try to help them and they don't want to because they suffer from weak resolve. You know somebody like this at work? Maybe somebody in your family? Do you have somebody you know who just always deals with the same struggle all the time? Maybe you've been walking with them for a decade or more and it's cyclical, they just keep coming back, the same problem over and over again? Maybe that's you. Maybe sitting at home today that you know that that's you. I'm talking to you right now. You may have a problem of resolve. Nothing really changes until you want it to change, until you're willing to pay the price, until your resolve 
hardens or becomes strong. It's great to see the prices all here. I've missed you. I saw you up north, Jim. Good to see you here, buddy. Weak coffee, weak resolve. How about weak butt muscles? Can I get an amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I was up on a ladder this fall doing some work. And if you've ever been on a ladder, you know, you got to stand pretty still. And when I came down from the ladder, I realized I'd kind of pulled a butt muscle. And it's never happened to me before in my whole life. Hey, Pastor Todd, this stuff is very dignified. Even pastors have butts. It's okay. In my case, a weak butt. Why? Because it's hashtag COVID. I haven't been able to go to the Y and do my squats. So I ran back to the Y. That was it. Like, that was my breaking point. Nick's been bugging me for months. He's like, when are you going to go back to the gym? Dr. Matt keeps sending me these texts like, where are you at, man? Sends me like him lifting 1,000 pounds. I'm like, oh, crap. But nothing broke me until I felt the weakness in my butt. I was like, I got a weak butt. I need to do something about it. Because we all know a strong butt is better than a weak one. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be one of those 80-year-old guys where his butt is gone, you know, it disappears. I figure I can still do squats when I'm 80. We'll see. Weak coffee, weak resolve, weak butts. Um, this is why the incarnation is so amazing. You're like, wow, that is quite a transition. Why is the incarnation amazing? Because in the incarnation, God the Son makes himself weak. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We'll receive it, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the NIV, it reads this way, he made himself nothing. This is why the incarnation is a big deal, because God the Son becomes a man. He takes on flesh. He makes himself nothing. This is the ultimate point of Christmas, that in the incarnation, God the Son has identified with our weakness. I mean, you could quit right there and you'd have enough to last you for this week in meditation. In the incarnation, God has identified with our weakness. So today, I want you to be asking this question as we work through our source text. What does weakness look like in Mary and Joseph's story? And how did they respond to it? Okay, that's the question I hope is echoing in your heart and mind as we work our way through the text. What does weakness look like in Mary and Joseph's story, and how did they respond to it? Picking it up at Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name 
Jesus. Here's my big idea. This is the thesis statement. This is the point. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember this and it'll do you good. You don't have to let your weakness make you weak anymore. Okay, because of Jesus, you don't have to let your weakness make you weak anymore. Because, point number one, you can uh, own your story. I want to invite you to own your story this year. I get this out of verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Matthew here is telling us the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are considered biographies. That's the genre they belong to. Storytelling, telling us the story of a hero. So Matthew is telling you a story of Jesus. Here's what his life looked like. Here's what he did. And here's what that means. We're being told a story here. The point is this. As Christians, as Jesus followers, we are actually building our lives on a story. You may know people in the wide world who would accuse you of building your life on a fairy tale. Next time someone says that to you, don't get angry. Rather, say, touche. And they won't know what to do with it. Yes, you're building your life on a story. Can I tell you a secret? So is everybody else. (laughs) Somebody holler at your boy. (laughs) So is everybody else. Everybody you know is building their life on some kind of story. A key difference between you and them is that the hero of your story is not you. The hero of your story is Jesus. And most of the people you know, the hero of their story is yours truly, themselves. I think this is the real problem with building our lives on a story. I mean, receive this as you can. I think there's a chance that most of us are only partway bought in. If you're gonna build your life on a story, wouldn't it make sense to go all in? (laughs) Yeah, it would. (laughs) It would. Are you only half bought in? Maybe change that this Christmas. Maybe decide in 2021 to own your foundational story. Get to know the story of Jesus. You get to know it by singing great worship tunes about Jesus, by listening to good faithful Bible preaching about Jesus by studying the Bible for yourself, by getting involved in a small group, interacting with your peers around the scriptures, praying. You get to know the way of Jesus by following in the midst of the real world, loving people to life, meeting the needs of the poor. Get to know your foundational story and own it this year. And point number two, um, make your plans with your eyes to the sky. Still in verse 18, the second part. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, She was found to be with child. Let me just point out something here that you might miss with a cursory reading. Joseph and Mary were making plans. That's what betrothed means. They were betrothed to be married. They weren't actually married. They were betrothed. In Judaism, betrothal was much more serious than just engagement. Okay, it was a formal contract. For all intents and purposes, they were man and wife. They were not to be sleeping together yet, but they were betrothed. So they were making plans, and then their plans got interrupted by heaven. Let me just point out, I don't always do this, but know 
that in my prep, whenever I make a point, I'm making sure that that point is rooted in the grand story of God and his people. That this is not the one and only time in scripture that this point appears. So you think of your favorite Bible hero and you tell me if their life was interrupted by God or not. In almost every case, the stories of the people in the Bible were interrupted by heaven. I was, I mean, I could name them all. We don't have forever to do this, right? But I love the story of Gideon. It'd be really tough to preach through the book of Judges because it's mostly misery and death. Maybe I'll cherry pick a few of the good stories out of Judges one time. I love the story of Gideon. Gideon, why? Because he is threshing wheat in a wine press for fear of the Midianites. Okay, so he's so afraid of the Midianites who were ruling Israel in that day that he's threshing wheat kind of secretly by himself doing it kind of surreptitiously in a wine press, an angel shows up and says, greetings, mighty man of valor. <laughs> he interrupts his fear with courage. They were making plans, but then heaven interfered. Let me just uh, remind you that um, your life is likely to be interrupted. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Growing up as a Pentecostal boy in a Pentecostal home, I never really understood why all the men and women in my house, as a part of almost every conversation, would finish the sentence with, Lord willing. Lord willing. And they talk about like, Lord willing, we're gonna to go to the supermarket after service. Lord willing. I mean, they really took this to the logical extreme. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. I wanna invite you to consider living an if the Lord wills kind of life in 2021. I don't know how often you pause to ask the Lord what his will is, but um, it might be worth your while to do it a little more. And point number three, learn to do the right thing even when you're alone in the shadow of death. I get this out of uh, verse 19. Speaking of Mary and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Let me point out a few things here from this part of the text. One, Joseph wants to do the right thing. He's a just man. Oh, that we would all be called just women and men. That's something to aspire to, to be the kind of person who does the right thing more often than not. For me, this has been a mantra for most of my adult life. Do the right thing in any given situation. I fall down, but I get back up. I fall down, but I get back up. Joseph wanted to do the right thing. We get that from the word just. Be that kind of person. Death was uh, hovering and unwilling to put her to shame. If he had divorced her publicly, because she was pregnant and he had not yet slept with her, she would have been accused of adultery, the penalty for which under Mosaic law was death. So I just want to point out here that death is hovering in this story. And I want you just to see that nobody is helping him make this decision. He resolved to put her away quietly. Just sit with his aloneness for a second. He's making plans. His betrothed wife is pregnant. If I divorce her publicly, they'll kill her. What am I gonna do about this? And no one's there to help him. He resolved. Here's the point. Next time you find yourself alone in the shadow of death, 
and you don't know what to do, just do the next right thing. Could you do that? You can figure that out, right? What's the next right thing? We want to solve the problems of the world in one fell swoop. We want to solve the problems in our own life in one fell swoop. No, just do the next right thing. And even if things get really, really ugly, point number four, get through your horrible in-between times knowing that heaven still steps in. Verse 20, the first part. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying. You see there in the text? But as he considered these things, he's trying to figure it out. He's having one of these dark nights of the soul. He's wringing his hands. He's questioning his motives. I don't know what to do. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying. Consideration happens alone. Behold means a surprise. I want to invite you to be surprised again at the goodness of God in the land of the living. And then an angel appears with revelation. Consideration, surprise, revelation. Let me just point out simply here that consideration always precedes revelation. So don't think it's weird or something's wrong with you when you have to endure a season of consideration with no quick answers. And you can get through those kinds of horrible in-between times knowing that heaven still steps in. So points five, six, seven, and eight here, rapid fire. Because you know that heaven still steps in, don't be afraid. Because salvation is on the way. Because all the stories are coming true. Because God has come to stay. I mean, somebody ought to be shouting in their heart at those four points. I get all those out of verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, with us God. Let me point out a few things here as I close. One, what does heaven say to Joseph? What heaven almost always says when it shows up, and maybe this word is, I feel it's for you today, do not fear. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Do not fear. That's one of heaven's favorite things to say. Again, look back to the stories of the biblical heroes, and you will realize that they are not really the hero of the story. God is. They're just caught up in his goodness. And the first thing he tends to say is don't be afraid. Let me encourage you to receive it, to lay your fear down this year. How unproductive is fear? Totally unproductive. Unless you're running from a hyena, you know, then it's good to be afraid. Don't see too many of those in Guelph. Lay down your fear this year. Why? Verse 21b, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me say to you, Merry Christmas. Salvation is here in Jesus. This is what Jesus signifies. Salvation is here. I also want to point out that they said that he would save his people from their sins, not from the Romans. And it was the Romans they wanted to be saved from. 
but he came to save their people from their sins. What's the point to you today, all these years removed from Roman occupation? Most of your temporal problems are rooted in a spiritual problem. Touche, preacher. Right? Touche. Most of your problems are spiritual problems. This is why God the Son became man, so that he could go to a Roman cross where he would suffer and die in your place for your sins, so that he could once and for all deal with your sin problem. Don't you have a sin problem? You do and I do and everyone you know does. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why Jesus is the great singularity in all the storied history of humankind. Because he's the only one who could deal with our sin problem. Friends, why do we get so excited about Jesus at Christmas and especially at Easter? Because all the prophecies of Isaiah have come true in Jesus. Particularly here, the prophecies in Isaiah 7 and 8. And shall call his name Emmanuel. You know what his name means? He's here to stay. I mean, somebody help me in this house. He's here to stay. Yes, I know technically it means God with us. That's, that's what God with us means. He Receive it. He is here to stay. God, I'm going to do it in reverse now. Watch this. God has come to stay. The stories are coming true. Salvation is here. Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. I mean, if, if that's not a recipe for banishing weakness, I don't know what is. So what now? My favorite point in the whole sermon. And the band gets to come up and ride this point into the last song. And oh my gosh, hang on to your butts. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Are you ready for this? So I love you so much. So what now? What now? Point number nine. Whoa, wake up and do. Where do I get this from? As we close, verses 24 through 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Savior. Woke up and did. Joseph got up and did as God commanded. You could do the same. You could own your story. You could make your plans with your eyes to the sky. You could do the right thing even when you're alone in the shadow of death. And you could get through your horrible in-between times knowing that heaven still steps in. So don't be afraid because salvation is on the way because all the stories are coming true, friend, because God has come to stay. So wake up and do in a 2021 that's traded weakness for strength because of Christmas. And somebody said, amen. stand together as we close in worship today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you're leaving feeling encouraged. If you'd like to come see us sometime in Guelph, you can find directions on our website, gracecommunity.ca.